حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن ابن شهاب عن عروة عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت إن كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عائشة رضي الله عنها سات تبرفت صلى الله عليه وسلم he would لا يدع العمل وهو يحب أن يعمل به he would leave an action while he would love to do it himself there would be an action that the Prophet ﷺ would love to do. But he would still leave it. Why would he leave it? Khashyata out of fear, أَنْ يَعْمَلَ بِهِ النَّاسُ That people will also do it, فَيُفْرَضَ عَلَيْهِمْ And then it would be made obligatory upon them. وَمَا سَبَّحَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ السُبْحَةَ الضُّحَى قَطُّ She said, the Prophet ﷺ never performed the subha of duha. What is subha? Prayer of duha, qattu, ever. But I perform it. I perform it. He wouldn't do it, but I do it. What does it mean by this? The Prophet ﷺ, there were many deeds that he was able to perform, that he liked to perform. But those deeds were not mandatory. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not make them mandatory. So he would leave those actions out of fear that if people will also do it, then it will be made fard. And when it's made fard, then people will have no choice. Today people can do it, maybe in the later generations or at another time, it will not be possible for them. So when they will leave it, they will be sinning. So because of people creating ease for them, the Prophet ﷺ would leave certain actions. Amongst those actions was what? The duha prayer. So Aisha anha, she said that he would not perform it, but I do so. Is she contradicting the way of the Prophet ﷺ? No, she's not. Because first she's explaining why he wouldn't do it. Why wouldn't he do it? Because if he did it, people would have no choice. Right? Imagine if duha prayer was also mandatory. Wouldn't that cause a level of difficulty to the average person? It would. So what she's saying is that even though he didn't do it, it is good to do it. Alright? He didn't do it for a reason. But it is still good to do it. And what's the proof that it is still good to do it? There are so many ahadith that tell us the importance of the duha prayer. Isn't it? Like for example, there's a hadith in a tirmidhi in which we learn that whoever regularly prays the two raka'ah of duha, then his sins will be forgiven. Even if they're like the vastness of the foam of the sea. Another hadith in a tirmidhi tells us that O son of Adam, do not be heedless of praying four raka'ah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the beginning of your day. And as a result, Allah will suffice you at the end of the day. You perform four raka'ah at the beginning of the day and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of you at the end of the day. And then the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu also. So many hadith that tell us the importance of duha prayer. Haddathana Abdullah ibn Yusuf qala akhbarana Malik an ibn Shihabin an Urwat ibn Zubair an Aisha umm al-Mu'minin radiallahu anha anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam salla dhat laylatin fil masjid. She said the Prophet ﷺ, once he performed the prayer one night in the masjid. And as he was performing the prayer, So some people also prayed behind him. 
And you can do this. If you find a person praying salah, you can join them. And so they would be the imam. Okay? So this happened with the Prophet ﷺ. He was praying in the masjid himself. People saw, heard him. They're like, okay, why should we pray on our own? We'll just join him. So he had to lead them. Alright? ثُمَّ صَلَّى مِنَ الْقَابِلَةِ So the following night, again, the Prophet ﷺ prayed, but news had spread. So, فَكَثُرَ النَّاسِ So now there were so many people praying behind him. ثُمَّ اجْتَمَعُوا مِنَ اللَّيْلَةِ الثَّالِثَةِ أَوِ الرَّابِعَةِ So what happened on the third or the fourth night, a lot of people gathered in the masjid waiting for the Prophet ﷺ to come out so that they could pray behind him. What happened? فَلَمْ يَخْرُجْ إِلَيْهِمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The Messenger of Allah didn't even come out of the house. So you see what happened first night? By chance, some people found him praying, they prayed behind him. Alright? Second night, people came. News spread. So a lot of people came. The third night, even more people came. But when he saw so many people gathered, he didn't come out. He didn't lead them. فَلَمَّا أَصْبَحَ Then when it was morning time, قَالَ He said, قَدْ رَأَيْتُ الَّذِي صَنَعْتُمْ I saw what you all did. I know that you all had gathered to pray. وَلَمْ يَمْنَعْنِي مِنَ الْخُرُوجِ إِلَيْكُمْ And nothing prevented me from coming out to you. إِلَّا أَنِّي خَشِيتُ أَن تُفْرَضَ عَلَيْكُمْ Except that I feared that it would be made mandatory upon you. وَذَلِكَ فِي رَمَضَانِ And this was in the month of Ramadan. So what was he afraid of? That the night prayer in Ramadan would become mandatory. Is it mandatory? No, it is not. Alright? Now, we see that something very beautiful over here and also in the previous hadith. And the bab that Imam Bukhari has mentioned, that the Prophet ﷺ heavily encouraged without making it obligatory. There is a difference between something that is fard or wajib, mandatory, and something that is mustahab. What is mustahab? Recommended or preferred. There is a difference. What is the difference? The difference is that fard or wajib you cannot leave. If you leave it, you're committing a sin. You understand? You don't have an option. If you leave it, you're committing a sin. This is something that is punishable. Alright? But when it comes to mustahab, something that is recommended, what does it mean? You may leave it. It's better if you do it. And you should not abandon it completely. But if you must leave it because of whatever reason, you can leave it. You see, when it comes to Maghrib prayer, for example, can you leave it someday because you're very busy? Can you leave it someday because you have an exam at that time? Can you leave it someday because you're traveling? You cannot. You have to pray somehow. Right? And if you miss it, then what do you do? You make it up later. Isn't it? But when it comes to something that is mustahab, can you leave it because you're busy? Can you leave it because you're tired? Can you leave it because you're traveling? Yes. And if you leave it, do you have to make it up later? No, you don't. And when you leave it, are you committing a sin? No. So is there a difference between fard and mustahab? Is there a difference? Yes, there is. And it's very important for us to recognize that. Because sometimes we become so passionate about certain good deeds 
that we make it mandatory in ourselves, it's okay. You are, it's great that you are choosing the better option for yourself, but it doesn't mean that you take it to the level of fard. So if somebody is not doing it, you look down on them. Now the exact opposite of that, haram. Haram, makruh. Alright? What is haram? What is haram? Forbidden. Can you do it? No, you cannot. You can only do it in the situation of extreme necessity. Alright? Extreme, extreme necessity. And what is that? Darura or haja, like extreme necessity. That if you don't do it, you're gonna die. Alright? Like for example, eating haram food. Alright? Eating certain foods is haram. But there is an exceptional situation where you may eat it. Like for example, in the Quran, muttar is mentioned. Right? Famanitturra. The situation of ittirar, which is compulsion. Being compelled by the situation. And being compelled by the situation doesn't mean that you haven't had a, you know, let's say a beef patty from a restaurant because last time you had it, it was in a Muslim country and now you haven't been to that Muslim country in like two years and you're really missing that flavor. Right? So you say, I really want it. You know, I really miss it. No, that that's not necessity. Necessity, extreme need is when you are going to die. If you don't eat something, you are going to die. Alright? Makruh is what? Disliked. Which means that if you do it, it's not a good idea. Because you're going very close to haram. It's going to lead you to haram. Alright? But if you were to do it, are you sinning? No. Alright? You're not sinning. But if you were to make it a habit... And if you were to do it all the time, without need, then that would be a problem. Alright, so there's a difference between haram and makruh also. The reason why I'm going into these details is because we look at the deen, at religion as black, white. Something that is not that great, haram. Treat it like haram. Alright, and something that is good, treat it like fard. And there's nothing in between. And when we live like this, when we look at religion like this, we put ourselves and the people around us in great difficulty. And we portray a very wrong image of our religion. Okay? A very wrong image of our religion. So, it's necessary, we see this in the way of the Prophet wasallam. that something is so great, Something like praying together in the month of Ramadan, the night prayer, so good, so beneficial, something that brings so much reward, but the Prophet ﷺ did not make it fard. Alright? And we must remember that also. Okay? Then we see the reason is that the shrir, what is the shrir? Legislation. Declaring something to be halal, declaring something to be haram, declaring something to be wajib, this is Allah's right. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala legislates. Human beings don't have their right. Even the Prophet ﷺ did not have the right to legislate like this. He could only legislate what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had legislated. 
So for example, when he made honey prohibited upon himself, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? لِمَ تُحَرِّمُ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهُ لَكَ Why do you forbid what Allah has made permissible for you? You should not forbid it. So likewise, he did not have the authority to impose what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given choice in. Okay? Now, we see that this is the reason why the fuqaha, the scholars of our religion, the people who give fatwa, people of fiqh, the fuqaha, they are very careful with regards to these terms. Halal, haram. And people who are using these terms very casually, be wary of them. Make note of this. People who use these terms very casually, haram, 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 haram. Be wary of them. Because a person of fiqh does not use these terms casually. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions that how often do you see in the seerah such big terms being used? Did the Prophet ﷺ casually use these terms? Did the Sahaba use these terms very casually? No, they didn't. So a person of fiqh, a person of understanding, will not use these terms very casually. And if somebody is using them very easily, everywhere, TV is haram, internet haram, this haram, that halal, there's a problem there. Go ahead. Assalamu alaikum. I noticed that the more knowledgeable a person is, the more open-minded that they are, and the more context there is to a situation. They, like, for example, you recognize an academic by them looking at it from so many different types of angles, and that's what makes a person smart or whatever. But if they only look at it from one simple angle or they say that this is not permissible for that reason, they haven't thought of it clearly. And also a lot of times things are not permissible for some people are permissible for other people. And things that are permissible for other people are not permissible for Exactly. Exactly. You see the matter of taraweeh prayer, for example. right? Is it 8 rakah or 20 rakah? And we'll discuss this later also. People are so particular about this. No, it's eight. They do 20, khilaf sunnah I'm not praying behind them. And if I go there because my family is dragging me there, then I will pray only eight. And after that, I'll sit using my phone, but I will not pray more than eight because these people are opposing the sunnah. What's our dalil? The Prophet ﷺ would pray eight rak'ah and then three witr. Full stop. And we have not studied other ahadiths which teach us that the Prophet ﷺ specified the manner of the night prayer, but not the number of rak'at. So a person of fiqh, of true understanding, he's hesitant saying, this is bid'ah, this is khilaf sunnah He's very careful in using these terms. So he will study the different ahadiths, and what he will extract from them is that the Prophet ﷺ always specified the manner, but never the number. So as long as we follow him in the manner, we can pray as many as we want. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 20, 40, 80, how much ever we want. Because the sunnah is in following the manner when it comes to the night prayer, not the number. This comes with maturity. Alright? Now what happens is that we just take, you know, a statement. You know that scholar said that you can do this? And we generalize and we're like, oh, that scholar, he doesn't know anything. He's a scholar? What are you talking about? You know, for example, 
Sheikh Walid Basuni, he mentioned that one of the first cases that he had to deal with when he came to North America was the issue of a woman who came to him and said that I want to get married, my parents do not allow me, and I am this close to committing zina. So he was confused. What should be done? So he consulted Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen. He was alive at that time. And Sheikh Walid is one of his students. Anyway, Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen told him that she can marry without the consent of her wali. One person will say upon hearing this, Oh my God, these shayukh, they've become so modern that they're saying you can marry without the consent of your wali? What kind of scholars are these? Forget these North American scholars. Go back to Saudi Arabia. Well, that fatwa came from Saudi Arabia, by the way. Alright? Because a faqih will look at the overall situation and see what is worse here. Committing haram or seeking the approval of your wali. What is more serious here? You have to protect the person from committing haram. And you can't be blind to the reality. Correct? So this is the difference between you know, an average person or a person who has limited knowledge, or of course everybody has limited knowledge, little knowledge or little understanding compared to who? A person of fiqh and ilm. The Sahaba cautioned against kathratul qurra' and qillatul fuqaha' who are qurra' people who can read, who read a lot. So they warned against this, that don't just teach people how to recite and read. And if you have lots of reciters, you think you are very knowledgeable community. No. Qillatul fuqaha, the lack of fuqaha, people of understanding, that is a serious problem. Because when there's so many people who can read, but very few who can comprehend, what's going to happen? Little knowledge will be very dangerous. Isn't it? It's going to be very, very dangerous. مَن يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِي خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينَ Whoever Allah wishes good for, He gives him the understanding of religion. Not just the ability to read and study, but the understanding. And that is rare. And that comes with sabr. And that comes with understanding hadith, studying hadith. So we see over here that when you look at all of these ahadith together, you see that yes, while something may be very important, very recommended, it's not fard. We don't have the right to make it fard. We don't have the right to make it mandatory. In another hadith we learn about this matter, about the night prayer. This is a hadith in Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ used to encourage his companions to pray at night during Ramadan without commanding them to observe it as an obligatory act. So he would encourage them to perform the night prayer, but he would not make it mandatory on them. Anything you would like to say before we continue? Any question? Yes. Is that only like, for that person? Or can yes. other people take that fatwa and say that, you know, this was given so I can do this Okay, too? see, this is the thing. Fatwa is not to be generalized. Okay, because fatwa is what? Given, it's an answer that is given to a unique problem. Alright? But if there is a problem, again, that arises, that is very similar to that, then that fatwa may be taken over there also. If the problem is the same or very similar. Alright? 
Okay, let's continue. Bab qiyam al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hatta tarima qadamahu. The qiyam of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, meaning how long he would stand for, so much so that tarima qadamahu, his feet would be swollen. This is what he liked for himself. He did more and commanded less. What do we do? We talk more and do little. وَقَالَتْ عَائِشَةُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا عَائِشَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا said حَتَّى تَفَطَّرَ قَدَمَاهُ Until his feet would تَفَطَّرَ تَفَطَّرَ What does that mean? Imam Bukhari says وَالْفُطُورُ Futur is الشُقُوق To crack And he gives proof from the Qur'an in فَطَرَتْ Meaning in شَقَّتْ Cracked So he would pray until his feet would Crack. What does it mean by this? How do feet crack? Hmm? So how does the cracking happen? We've never seen it, right? So we don't know what it is. The thing is that when a part of the body swells a lot, a lot, then what happens to the skin? It stretches. Doesn't it? It stretches, it becomes dry, and it feels so stiff that sometimes it even... You can even see cuts. Alright? For example, if a person has gained a lot of weight and then they lose it, then what happens? There are stretch marks all over their skin. Why? Where did the stretch marks come from? Because of the stretching, the expanding of the skin. So this is how much his feet would swell. حدثنا أبو نعيم قال حدثنا مسعر عن زياد قال سمعت المغيرة رضي الله عنه يقول إن كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يقوم ليصلي حتى ترم قدماه أو ساقاه. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to stand in prayer until his feet or legs would both be swollen. So feet and sometimes ساقاه. ساق is the lower leg. Shin. فَيُقَالُ لَهُ Then he would be asked about it that why? فَيَقُولُ He would answer أَفَلَا أَكُونُ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا Should I not be a grateful slave? باب مَنْ نَامَ عِنْدَ السَّحَرِ Someone sleeping in the time before dawn. At the time of Sahar. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا سفيان قال حدثنا عمرو بن دينار أن عمرو بن أوسن أخبره أن عبد الله بن عمرو بن العاص رضي الله عنهما أخبره أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال له أحب الصلاة إلى الله صلاة داود عليه السلام. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said that the most beloved prayer to Allah was the prayer of Dawood عليه السلام. وَأَحَبُّ الصِّيَامِ إِلَى اللَّهِ صِيَامُ دَاوُودِ And the most beloved fasting to Allah was the fasting of who? Prophet Dawood. How was it? وَكَانَ يَنَامُ He would sleep نِصْفَ اللَّيْلِ Half of the night. وَيَقُومُ Then he would stand ثُلُثَهُ A third of it. Meaning he would stand in prayer for a third of the night. And then وَيَنَامُ He would sleep سُدُسَهُ a sixth of it. A sixth of the night. وَيَصُومُ يَوْمًا And he would fast for a day. وَيُفْطِرُ يَوْمًا And he would not fast for a day. Meaning he would fast every alternate day. And this is the best that can be done for the body and the heart. You see, he had such a routine in which he gave the haqq of the body. And he also gave the haqq of the heart. 
You understand? Because the heart, in order to discipline the heart, in order to purify the heart, you have to fast and you have to perform the night prayer. Isn't it? But if you continue to do that, then what will happen? Your body will suffer. So then, what would he do? He would fast every alternate day. He would take a break from his fasting. And then, even when it came to his night prayer, he would sleep. Why? To rest his body. Now, when it comes to fasting, it's very clear. One day fast, one day no fast. Alternate day. When it comes to the night prayer, what does it mean by this? That he would sleep half of the night, then he would stand and pray for a third, and then he would sleep for a sixth. How does that work? Fractions. Hmm. How does that work? Basically, you divide the night into six equal parts. Not hours. Okay? Six equal parts. Half of the night he would sleep. Meaning the first half he would sleep. That's how many parts? The first three. Alright? So three out of six is what? Half. Alright? So half of the night he's sleeping. Then, after half of the night he would wake up and perform the night prayer for how many parts of the night? How many? A third of the night. What is a third of the night? Two out of six. Alright? So the next two parts, he would pray. And then he would sleep. How much? A sixth of the night. So, the last part of the night he would sleep. So if you want, just to make it easy, let's do a visual. In your book, alright, make like six squares. Okay? Those of you who, who are still unclear about this, make six shapes or squares or whatever. Okay? Don't write numbers because that will be confusing. Done? Done? Okay. Now look at the text of the hadith. Kana yanamu layl. The first half of this, cross it out. The first half. Just put like crosses or something like lines on them or color them in. This is going in what? Sleep. Okay. Then he says, يَقُومُ ثُلُثَهُ What would be a third of six? Two. So the next two, circle them. Alright? Or just make a sign somehow. And write, he would pray. Do it. The next two. Yeah, these two? Yes, for prayer. Okay? And now, how many boxes do you have left? One. So that is what? One out of six. You get it? So one-sixth he would spend sleeping. Beautiful. Rest at the beginning. Get up and pray. Rest again. You see that? And when you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like this, you can actually worship with consistency. Our problem is we sleep all night long. Or the nights when we want to pray tahajjud, we're like, don't sleep, don't sleep. Hmm? Don't sleep at all. Okay. And then what happens? We fall asleep. Right? So the thing is, in order to do things consistently and properly, you need a level of discipline and self-control. You have to make yourself do it. And once you put yourself in a schedule, in a routine, your body's healthy, and you're actually getting things done. And if you just follow your desires, you will not be able to get anything done in your life. I'm sorry to say it like that, but that's how it is. We think putting ourselves in a routine 
is creating hardship for ourselves. No, it's not. When it comes to children, little children, what's best for them? Schedule or no schedule? Schedule. Isn't it? Because when they have a routine, when they're going to sleep, when they're going to wake up, when they're going to eat, when they're going to take a nap, what happens? They're happy. And if there's no schedule, you don't want to be near that child. Isn't it? Cranky, angry, irritable, everything. Right? So, same goes for you. Same goes for you. You're just a bigger version of that human being. Right? So if a little child will thrive with a routine, what about you? You need a routine also. So we see that the prophets of Allah, they had routines. Prophet Dawood look at the routine that he had. And when he did this consistently, the Prophet ﷺ said that his fasting was the most beloved to Allah. And his prayer was the most beloved to Allah also. Because which deeds does Allah like? Which ones? Those that are done with consistency. As we see in the next hadith. حدثني عبدان قال أخبرني أبي عن شعبة عن أشعث سمعت أبي قال سمعت مسروقا قال سألت عائشة رضي الله عنها أي العمل كان أحب إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم مسروق asked Aisha رضي الله عنها that which deed was the most beloved to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم قالت she said الدائم what is الدائم دائم is one that continues Right? Meaning that which is done continuously. Qultu, then he asked that Mata kana yakumu, when would he stand up in the night to pray? Qalat yakumu ida samira sarikh. She said he would get up when he heard the sarikh. Sarikh is what? Sarakha is to scream. So sarikh one who screams, one who shouts. So who is this who shouts? Huh? Rooster. Okay, rooster. So this is referring to the crowing of the rooster, the cock-a-doodle-doo. Alright? So, إِذَا سَمِعَ الصَّارِخ Now, they had no clocks. Alright? So they woke up with the sound or with the crowing of the rooster. And you'll be amazed, but you will actually hear birds chirping at the time of the hajjud also. Try it yourself. In the winter, we don't hear the birds. But now in spring and summer, you hear them. You will hear them. And what's interesting is that roosters actually, different studies have shown that roosters know when it is time for sahar. Alright? Even if they are in a closed environment where there's no light for a very long time. So basically, biologically, they're programmed. Biologically, they're programmed. They have internal body clocks that tell them the time of sahar. And the Prophet ﷺ, he told us that when you hear the crowing of the roosters, then what should you do? What should you do? Ask Allah for His bounty. Why? Because, why? Because the rooster has seen who? An angel. Subhanallah. Many animals, exactly. It's not just roosters, it's not just birds, even cats. Many animals are like this, that the time of sahur they know. حدثنا محمد بن سلام قال أخبرنا أبو الأحوص عن الأشعث قال إذا سمع الصارخ قام فصلى. He said when he heard the rooster crow, he would get up and pray. 
حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا إبراهيم بن سعد قال ذكر أبي عن أبي سلمة عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت ما ألفاه السحر عندي إلا نائما The Prophet ﷺ did not find, or rather the Sahar, the time of Sahar did not find him with me except that he was sleeping. Ta'ani and Nabiya and she meant by that the Prophet ﷺ. So even the Prophet ﷺ, what was his way? He would perform the tahajjud prayers and then he would sleep again. You understand? He would sleep again. And then he would wake up for Fajr. But it doesn't mean that it is mandatory to sleep after Alright? It's not mandatory. It is a sunnah. The Prophet ﷺ did that. Dawood ﷺ did that. But if you have this fear that you will not be able to wake up for fajr, then what is best? Stay up. And if you have eaten too much at sahur time, and you're not able to sleep, you feel like you're going to throw up, or you're going to feel sick if you sleep, and if you stay awake again, there is no harm. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to act on what we learn. Subhanakallahu bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.